Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as usual, for turning in. It is always appreciated. Uh, as we all know, Jets pulled off a uh, an upset victory this week against the Buffalo Bills up in Buffalo. Sam Donald did some some very impressive things that not everybody was was happy with because the of course, the uh, the fallout, if you will, from the victory is the loss of draft slots. So that's one of the things we're going to cover today. We'll talk about some some top individual performers, uh, the fan base in general, where people seem to be right now. But before we get, let's uh, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor. Football season is in full swing. Playoffs right around the corner. And uh, for a lot of guys, that means the start of donation season or the continuation of donation season at their local sports books. But it doesn't have to be that way. Linebacker.com. Thelinebacker.com produces winning sports predictions based off thousands of game simulations. It's easy to use, and its customized betting profile tells you which team to back and how much to bet. JetNation.com listeners can get 25%, 25% off on their first linebacker purchase when they use the promo code JETNATION. That's J-E-T Nation, Jet Nation at thelinebacker.com. Sign up for a free trial today, get some winning picks, and start to make yourself some money. So give them a look. Take a look at the, the linebacker. So, Sam Darnold and the New York Jets go into Buffalo. They steal a win. Beat the Bills 27-23. They get the 4-9. and nine. And there are people immediately after the game whose reaction is, oh, I, I can't believe they won this game. Meaningless game. Meaningless win. Typical Jets. And, of course, then it only got worse when the Cardinals and Raiders both managed to win their games because the Jets would have had the number one pick in the draft right now. They'd be sitting in the driver's seat for that top pick. Now, I understand the frustration in that, but only to a degree. Because right now, and, and this season, as we've said before, this season is supposed to be all about Sam Darnold. And I know, of course, the, the, the focus has shifted a little bit because the season has gone as poorly as it has, and there's no getting around that. It's been a disgusting season. But if you can't if you can't come away from that win happy that Sam Darnold engineered his first ever come from behind victory in the NFL in a game that I, I said it after the game, I tweeted it, I've seen a million other people say it and talk about it. This is a game that Sam Darnold, for all intents and purposes, 
had had no had no business winning this game. You're talking about a 21 year old rookie who's going to have a little bit of rust. He missed a month. He's playing on the road in one of the more hostile environments in the league. He's the California kid who people said can't play in the cold, 15 degrees with the wind chill factor on the field at game time. You're playing the best secondary in the NFL, statistically. Now, if you want to argue that the Bills don't have the best secondary, fine. But if you're statistically the best secondary in the NFL, you are at the very least a pretty damn good secondary. Okay, so for everyone that wants to, you know, make excuses for this, that, and the other thing, and talk about how the, you know, they don't want to hear it, the Bills aren't that good, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if you are statistically number one, you're pretty damn good. Okay, so let's, let, let's, let's, let's pretend for the crybabies out there that the Bills are the 10th best secondary in the NFL. That's still pretty damn good. At a 32, statistically the number one unit, but for the people that are going to whine about that, let, let's say they're a top 10 unit. So you're playing a top 10 secondary on the road, in the cold, as a rookie, as a 21-year-old rookie, and your team falls behind big early on. Jets were down 17-6 to in this game. Okay? 17-6. And, you, and your offense hasn't scored a touchdown in about what, what feels like five months. Everything, every single factor in this game went against the Jets. They should not have... They, they going into this game... I was as sure as any game this year this was a loss. Oh, Jesus, the kid's got to come back rusty. It's 15 degrees. It's windy. The fans are hostile, on the road. Every reason in the world to not win that game. And now did Sam Donald go in there and throw for 350 yards and, and, and light it up? No, he didn't. But he goes 16 to 24, good enough for 66%. Only throws one touchdown. But let's face it, folks, he made some fantastic throws. He ripped the touchdown throw. I mean, my goodness. That was uh, one of the biggest breakdowns in protection on the day. Donald was under under duress. I think they said he basically dropped back, had to roll to his right to evade pressure, had to turn his back to the defense to run away, loop back around, outrun the defenders, picked up a couple of blocks and then comes back to the opposite side of the field and throws a touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. Fantastic throw. Made a huge clutch throw to Robbie Anderson late in the fourth quarter on a corner route toward the sideline. And the kid the kid played what was argued, not statistically his best game, no, but under the conditions, under everything I've already mentioned, all those things taken into consideration, possibly Sam Donald's most impressive game as a pro. Big throws in big spots in a tough environment. You got to love it. I don't know how I, – again, I understand the thought of having the number one pick is nice. But listen, for sake, for this team, for the long-term health of this franchise's sake, I'd rather I'd rather have a top ten pick with one or two impressive wins down the stretch 
that have the number one pick and a guy who couldn't buy a win and didn't do anything to grow and didn't do anything to improve his, his status in that locker room and in that huddle. And listen, the, you know, you see the support from the teammates, <clears throat> which, of course, they're going to support him. I get that. But you can tell there's some legitimate love for this kid in the locker room, in the huddle. And I'm, I'm, if you're upset about this win because of draft position, I don't know what to tell you. If the Jets are picking five or six, there's still a pretty damn good chance they're going to get themselves a, a good pass rusher. Clellan Farrell, Josh Allen, someone of that nature, maybe an offensive tackle. But the the Jets, Sam Darnold can win a couple of football games, and the Jets can still fill a major need in the draft. Now, of course, a lot of that, as is always the case, is going to come down to developing that player. And on that note, and I, I do want to say really quickly, I meant to say this at the top of the show. Um, Apologize for no show last week. Well, uh, we did a show, uh, did the show on Blog Talk, and for the first time, I mean, I've been doing this show for quite a while now. First time this ever happened, I completed the show, and the second I went to, or the second the show was over, it wasn't even anything I had to do. Show was done. I got an email from Blog Talk immediately saying they were having a difficult time uploading the show. And they had their technicians working on it. So I didn't think much of it. I figured out, you know, that'll be up in a couple hours. Uh, as it turned out, it dragged on all week, back and forth with the emails between Jet Nation Radio, JetNation.com, messaging blog talk, where's our show, where's the show, we did the show, can't find the show, we can't listen to the show. Um, blog talk said they were working on it. And, uh, I mean, at some point in the week, just kind of realized this isn't going to happen. This thing isn't going to get posted. So it did not get posted, and the reason I mention that is because there were a couple things I touched on last week that I did want to bring up again this week, because uh, I think they're uh, important stuff in terms of, and and what led me into this is talking about coaching up the number one pick, and this coaching staff, and this this general manager, we don't know. You know, there were reports, Manish Mehta reported that sources said there was some there was a rift between McCag- Mike McCagnan, general manager Mike McCagnan, Mike and head coach Todd Bowles. Bowles came out and denied it, said no issue, never had an issue with anyone in the building. But the handling of the Sam Donald situation, obviously it's in the past now because he's playing, but it was just a very odd situation, the way Todd Bowles said he was hurt. Or is it, you know, for, uh, the previous week he said Bolt, he, he said Donald was healthy enough to play, but he didn't play him, and then said, but I don't know if he'll play next week, meaning this past Sunday. Now you kind of knew, well, if he was healthy enough to play a week ago, why in the world wouldn't he play this Sunday? Now maybe it's maybe it's Todd Bowles trying to get cute and and outsmart somebody, but I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a dopey fan like like the mo- like most of us. My guy sits around and talks about the team, writes about the team. But even from, from afar, I'm sitting there and going, who does this guy think he's fooling? Why in the world? We, you just said Sam Donald is healthy enough to play today. And then your next sentence is, I don't know if he'll be healthy enough to play on Sunday. 
a week from today? It was so nonsensical that people started to ask, is, you know, is Todd Bowles being forced to bench Sam Darnold? Is it even his call anymore? Is this Todd Bowles signaling to the media that Sam is healthy, but I can't play him and I might not be able to play him next week? Is ownership stepping in? What's, is the front office still structured in a way that Mike McCagnan isn't his boss? Is McCagnan making this call? And the, the, way this, the way this front office is structured, that has been criticized, and rightfully so, because it, it has not worked out. It's a unique setup. There, you know, I've had people say that this is the only team in the league that does this. That, that's actually not the case. Now, I, I don't know how many teams are doing it now. I do, I do recall when this was announced that this was going to be the structure of the front office, that the GM and the head coach would be on equal footing, that the, at the time, I believe, it was the Dolphins and the Falcons. Other front offices were doing it. Personally, I don't like it. I think you let the GM be your GM, let your coach coach. But Mike McCagnan, it looks like, from from what all the rumors are saying, will be around next year, and Todd Bowles will not. And there are some people who have a serious issue with that. There are some people who feel like Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles should be leaving together. Now, I I disagree with that sentiment, and uh, and I, I've discussed this in the past, but I wanted to go a little bit more in depth and talking about some of the failures of Mike McCagnin that you have to wonder how much of it is also because of Todd Bowles. So we're going to look. I'm just pulling these names up here. Okay. So you figure in the time Mike McCagnin and Todd Bowles have been here, some of the big-name players, because everyone, everyone talks about, let, let's start with this year. Let's just start with this season right now. And I've talked about it before on this show, but I want to bring it up again because the more I look at this list, the more obvious it becomes to me. <clears throat> Pardon me. The more obvious it becomes to me, it's a coaching situation. It's a coaching issue. So under Todd Bowles, we've seen Muhammad Wilkerson go from pro bowl player to completely worthless. We've seen Sheldon Richardson go from defensive rookie of the year defense defensive superstar to just a guy, an above average player, perhaps. Leonard Williams is a pro bowler, alternate pro bowler in year two. Now he's now he's a guy who gets three sacks a year. Robbie Anderson was a monster last season. Would have been a thousand yard double digit touchdown guy if McCown doesn't get hurt. He's all but disappeared this season. Even more so for Jermaine Curse, non-factor. You think of some other guys who fell apart in their time here under Todd Bowles. Now I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm, I'm a little torn on the Darrell Revis thing. I think that was Darrell Revis's heart. I don't think his heart was in the game. I think that. Uh, I think he didn't want to play in the NFL anymore. And I think that. That may have been a result if you think back where he was playing. He was playing all right. And uh, once he got that, was it against the Texans? I think it was against the Texans. I could be wrong. 
But once he came back from that concussion, he was never the same guy. Another guy in that, in that secondary, Marcus Gilchrist, signed with the Jets that first year. He was a good player. He wasn't great. He was good. The next year, he was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And since leaving, if, if we're going to go, you know, going by PFF, I'm not going to pretend I've, I've spent the, the last two years watching every Marcus Gilchrist game. Um, he's rated out much better, kind of back to where he was when he arrived with the Jets. Spencer Long, another guy who regressed from what he was last year with the Redskins to what he has given, what, what he was the last few years with the Redskins to what the Jets have gotten out of him this year. Now, I will say, he's been significantly better playing left guard versus center. And now, of course, we know that he was dinged up while he was playing center. And it's only the last couple games, his last couple starts, week 12 and 14, left guard. He still not looked as good as he did with uh, with Washington. But he's, he has been improved. And I wanted to throw that out there, too. Because uh, the move of Spencer Long to left guard with Jonathan Harrison at center, the offensive line has looked a little bit better. Because Long was, you know, the, the, this, the shotgun snaps were atrocious when he was playing center because of a dislocated finger. Now he's not snapping. So that issue has gone away. And... Let's talk, let's talk about them because we're going to do some uh, not not so much studs and duds because honestly to me enough guys played well this week that I'm, I'm not limiting it to three guys. We're gonna we're gonna do some uh, we're gonna do some game balls and we already talked about Sam Darnold so he's he's a no brainer on the list. This is a, this little article I did a day or two after the game and. Uh, I'm going to go over some of these, but the the next one, the next game ball I would give out after Darnold, if not before, is the Jets' offensive line because they did not allow a single sack in this game. Yes, there were some pressures, as there will be in the course of any NFL game. Had to make a couple throws on the run, but all in all, this was a very good performance for the Jets' offensive line. I thought that in going back and rewatching the game, I thought Brian Winters did a really nice job in pass protection. The run blocking wasn't there. Let's face it, with this unit, the run blocking is never there. I guess you could say against Denver, but that's about it. But Calvin Beecham was solid, wasn't great. Spencer Long was solid, wasn't great. It, basically, this O-line was, was good enough to keep Darnold clean. And the Bills have, have a decent pass rush. They have some guys you can get to the quarterback. <clears throat> Pardon me. Cough is coming back. I've been much better. I've been much better. I think it's the, uh, the time of year and all as winter arrives. But in, in talking about the Jets offensive line, so it's something I took a lot of heat for, as many of you know, during the preseason, during the off- a lot during the season when, when they had some of their worst games. But this Jets offensive line, I looked at it today, and I tweeted this out a little while ago. A few people replied, and uh, kind of some folks that were on board with my mindset, which was 
if you listen to Jets Twitter, uh, you would think that uh, the Jets offensive line was hands down the worst in the NFL. Well, reality, and I'm, I'm talking just based on a how frequently a is sacked or hit or hurried. That's that's pretty much the, the industry standard. Sacks, hits, hurries. You know, how, how often do you have a clean pocket? How often do you have a chance to make a throw without being harassed? And that to me, because listen, if I sit here and say Sam Donald has been sacked X amount of times, a lot of people are going to say, well, what about his elusiveness? What about his ability to get away from pressure? Right. That's, that's why pressures, hurries, because that's, those are cases where, yes, Sam Donald isn't being sacked. He is having to use his mobility, but the offensive line still failed him by allowing him to, to be in a position where he's got to take off and run. So strictly looking at sacks and even hits doesn't give you the whole picture. I mean, let's face it, nothing gives you the whole picture. Um, but you can get a rough idea. And so I looked earlier today where Pro Football Focus had, had the Jets' offensive line ranked in terms of sacks, hits, and hurries. They call it their pass blocking efficiency rating. They, basically, they just say number of dropbacks, they add up your sacks, hits, and hurries, and they divide that number. And the Jets currently rank in pass blocking efficiency 12th in the NFL. And they were 26th last year. And because, and I, I've said this before, because people made up their mind, before, because so many people decided before the year that this unit was going to be the worst in the NFL, there was no amount of, of, of talking you could do that, that some of these people would listen to. Everything was, this team's worst, it, this offensive line, and, and when I say offensive line, and I, I clarify this on another show, because I did write early in the year that the, 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 the run blocking, to me, when I'm talking about how good this offensive line is and how, you know, I, and I, I'm sure I've said this on the air, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but for anyone who didn't hear it, um, my concern and the concern of everyone, and that, that's why the discussion was had so many times this season, was whether or not Sam Donald was going to get his brains kicked in. And a lot of people said that was going to happen because this was going to be the worst offensive line in the league and they weren't going to be able to stop anybody and Sam Donald was going to get sacked, 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 and sacked some more. Well, that hasn't been the case at all. Yes, he's been But currently, after last year's team was 26th in the NFL in pass blocking efficiency, they are number 12 this year overall. So... We have every reason to believe they'll finish in the top half of the league because it, it would take a quite a some some unbelievably bad performances down the stretch in order for that rating to drop significantly. Over you know when you look at the sample size, you're you're, you're 13 games in, three games skew your numbers that much would be shocking. So at, at the very at the very worst, this team should be a a top half of the league O line. And that's, I mean, that's basically, that's better than what I predicted. I said they would be middle of the pack in terms of their ability to protect Sam Darnold. Turns out they're top 12. Well, they're number 12 right now. And they, they get a game ball from me because Darnold had plenty of time to throw, 
more often than not. And as I said, no sacks allowed, which is a pretty impressive day against that defense. Um, we even saw Dakota Dozier lining up at running back a little bit. How fantastic was that? Um, little wrinkle from little wrinkle from Jeremy Bates. Obviously, this team doesn't have a true fullback. We've seen this in the past with other coaches lining up O-linemen in the backfield to, to work as blockers. Dozier had a, a, a decent block on the, the game-winning touchdown run by Elijah McGuire. So a good job there by him. And just solid all around. A solid day uh, in, in pass protection for the O-line. So tip of the cap for them. They get a second game ball. Another game ball, get Robbie Anderson. Can, can Robbie Anderson get some love? I can't believe, I still can't believe it. And I'll keep saying I can't believe it until I can somehow believe it. I, st- I still get Jets fans. And, and I use that term loosely. Like there, you have different levels of fans. Um, I get Jets fans, quote fans, they're telling me that Robbie Anderson is garbage. Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson is a one-trick pony. Well, yeah, I saw Robbie Anderson had four catches this week. Um, one of them was on a corner route. One of them was on a slant. The other one was improvisational on the on on Donald's twenty-second scramble. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the fourth one. But it wasn't it wasn't four go routes. It wasn't just one thing. It wasn't one trick that Buffalo couldn't stop. He ran a corner. He ran a slant. He improvised a little in the end zone. Um, but if you go on Jeff's Twitter, you'll find plenty of people saying the only thing he knows how to do is run deep, is is, is run a go route, that run past the defender. And I've had this this discussion a million times. They say that like it's a bad thing which for the life of me, it's like, it's like complaining that you have a car and all it does is get you where you need to go. Like, you need to get in the end zone? That's, that's what Robbie Anderson can do if your quarterback can hit him with a deep ball and you're complaining about it. How's that? It's beyond stupid. Oh, man, I bought this car the other day. Damn thing starts every time I turn the key, and then it gets me where I need to go, and it shuts off when I take the key out. This car, this car only knows how to do one thing. All it does is get me where I need to go. Idiots. Like complaining the ashtray isn't big enough. So Robbie Anderson, the one-trick pony, deep ball out of corner, slant, touchdown, the only touchdown of the game. And people are still going to trash the guy and say the same thing. And, I, and as I've said before, I understand that running a deep route, running a go route, is the thing he is best at. So it's the thing he does most often. But that's if he wasn't doing that, it would be another reason for Jets fans to kill the offensive coordinator. I could hear it now. We have a guy who can get up and down the field. Why is he running slants and curls and hooks and screens and comebacks? He should just be running go routes all the time. So the Jets and Robbie Anderson go. What do Jets fans say? All this guy does is run go routes. What the hell? Are we? Same old Jets. Come on, man. Wake up, people. Jets don't have any difference makers on offense. You gonna tell me a guy who gets open the way Robbie Anderson does behind the scenes to make a difference? If 
if you're a defensive coordinator planning to play this team and you're not accounting for that, the, A, the Jets should be happy about it, and B, you should be fired. Now, getting the quarterback to hit him consistently is the next thing. But as of now, Robbie Anderson's a guy who, when he's on, when he if he makes a couple catches, and that, that's one knock I, you know, that a Bates knock for. One thing I think he gets a free pass on. If I'm the Jets, I'm sending Robbie Anderson on a deep ball once a quarter at a minimum, especially when you're not moving the ball. So when, when you get all these three and outs, you may as well take a deep shot. If you connect, it loosens things up. If you don't, you might get a pass interference. And even if you don't connect, it's not going to loosen things up per se, but it's going to put that, that, that thought in the defense's head. They're always going to have to be aware of it. So if you're never doing it, we're not doing it often enough, the defense isn't going to worry about it. What do they care? They're going to look at Robbie Anderson and go, okay, that's, that's the guy that just, uh, you know, they keep him 20 yards and in. Whether it's, you know, we see him on screens, we see him on end arounds. We see him doing a lot more than Jet Twitter tells you he does. Sometimes Jet Twitter is pretty stupid. That's what this boils down to. Jet Twitter can be pretty dumb. Because if you watch the way teams approach Robbie Anderson when he's heavily targeted, it, the Jets' offense looks completely different. I actually threw a number in here. How ridiculous is this? Robbie Anderson has four touchdowns this year. Two of them came in one game against Denver. But Robbie Anderson, in 2018, Anderson scores a touchdown. The Jets' offense averages 36 points a game. When he doesn't score a touchdown, they average 17.6. Now, on a 4-9 football team, in games in which Robbie Anderson has scored a touchdown, the Jets are undefeated. They're 3-0. 3-0 when Robbie Anderson scores, 1-9 when he doesn't. And even with that being the case, we see games... <clears throat> pardon me. We see games where the Jets can't move the ball, they can't get in the end zone, and Robbie Anderson has five targets or six targets, which is just beyond absurd. I've tweeted it out a few times this year before games. Like, hey, listen, if you can't move the football, if you're not scoring touchdowns anyway, just take some deep shots to a guy who's – as good as anybody in the league at getting open deep down the field. If you're not scoring and you have a guy on that like your te- a guy like that on your team, what the hell are you holding back for? Let him go play. But anyway, that's enough on Robbie Anderson. He gets a game ball. Big game for him. Four grabs. I want to say he had seven was it seventy six yards? Let's see, Robbie Anderson. As I said, we know he's got the touchdowns. Yeah, four for 76 and a touchdown, including a 37-yarder on a corner route. He still only had seven targets. That's, that's terrible. Robbie Anderson has 10 or more targets once this year. Last year, I want to say he had six or seven games with double-digit targets. And it's not no coincidence that that was the case and that offense was better. So... That's Robbie Anderson getting a game ball. Next game ball, 
We're giving this one to two guys. They're going to share it. Kevin Pierre-Louis and Neville Hewitt in the middle of that defense at linebacker. And we talked quite a bit, quite extensively during the preseason when we were out at Florham Park. I discussed uh, how impressive the depth at safety and inside linebacker was. And we finally got a chance to see some of that depth at inside linebacker this week. Um, Kevin Pierre-Louis, Kevin Pierre-Louis only played a handful of snaps. Watched some of the all 22. Actually, I got through all of it today. Um, and I, I only saw him out there a handful of times. Maybe I would say no more than 15 plays. And he had himself three tackles, including a sack. They jarred the ball loose. So he had a strip sack and three tackles on a handful of snaps. And then Neville Hewitt, another guy who he was, he was one of my biggest surprises in training camp. He, he was a much better, much better player than I anticipated. And I said that this guy could take Darren Lee's job this year. Um, I was wrong about that because Darren Lee played much better than I anticipated, much better than a lot of people anticipated. But I didn't think Darren Lee was going to be as good as he was this year. But I said, don't be shocked if Neville Hewitt takes his job late in the season. Well, now he has been given the job by Darren Lee. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Because, yeah, I just realized that that uh, last week's show was before the suspension and didn't go on the air anyway. So let's talk about Darren Lee in a few minutes. But Darren Lee's out for the remainder of the season, tested positive for substance. And Neville Hewitt and Kevin Pierre-Louis combined for 10 tackles, a sack and a half, including the forced fumble. So as I said, Pierre-Louis had one, and Neville Hewitt had a half a sack himself. And seven tackles, I want to say, five solo. So nice job in the middle of that defense, um, stepping up a couple of guys who were, hadn't had a lot of reps this season, thought they might have been a little bit rusty. Good job there. Other game ball, another game ball, Elijah McGuire, the second-year guy, finally getting some run with uh, Isaiah Crowell's banged-up foot. McGuire went out. Now, he didn't have a ton of running room, as I said, <laughs> just in general. The, uh, the run blocking wasn't great. But Elijah McGuire, 17 carries for 60 yards. A lot, most of that came on one yard, one carry. He had a 34-yard run at one point, but he scored the game winner on a run to the right. I mentioned to go to Dozier being in on a block on that play. McGuire had to string it out a little bit, showing good patience before punching it in the end zone and uh, and getting the game-winning score. So here's a guy I'd like to see more of this week, but now, as it turns out, the uh, the injury report they're telling us at least yesterday. Haven't seen the updated version today. But the Jets, basically all three of their running backs were were limited or out yesterday. Crowell out, was, uh, was, wasn't, didn't practice because of his foot. Trenton Cannon, who got a few carries. Let's see, Cannon, McGuire, both limited today. Limited today, did not practice yesterday. Okay, so neither guy practiced yesterday, both limited today, and Isaiah Crowell did not practice yesterday or today. So hopefully, hopefully, we see McGuire bounce back, healthy, ready to go, and get some run. But let's be honest, Jesus, Houston, that's a tough front. It might not matter who they have in there. But either way, I'd like to see some reps for him and for Cannon, get them involved in the passing game a little bit. McGuire had three catches last week. 
not as many as you'd like to see. If he's going to be getting regular work, Cannon had one one catch, four yards. That was it. Um, Cannon scored his first uh, NFL touchdown, so good job for him. Only had a few car- five carries, three yards. So obviously, obviously a short touchdown run. Didn't do it. Didn't do a ton. But uh, but that's I will tell you what. When you watch Trenton Cannon, he's a guy that's worth developing. He's a guy that's worth keeping around because he's one of those players. It's like, yeah, he's got a lot to learn. He may be, he may not be as patient as you would like. But when you watch that guy, once he hits that second gear, he just looks like the fastest guy on the field. It doesn't even have to be a long run. If if if, if it's a, if it's a sweep or or a screen pass, and he only covers, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards of ground, he just looks like he's moving at a different speed than everybody else. So get that guy up, get him in space, and give him an opportunity to make some plays, because I think that I think we'll see good things from that in time. But as I said, McGuire game ball, game winning touchdown, thirty four yard run, nice job for him. And then the next game ball, and this is possibly the most important. Uh, well, let's face it, Donald's the most important. But but next on the list. Tremaine Johnson. That's three in a row, folks. Three good games in a row for him. I said it last week that he was quietly good against New England. Nobody really cared because they lost the game. He didn't make any big splash plays. No interceptions. But he just looked good. I thought, to me personally, look, watching the game, watching the film after the game, I thought he did a good job of sticking with his receiver. Then, of course, the following week, he had to pick six. And then this week, two interceptions, including the game clincher. And I get it. It's against Josh Allen. But he still did a good job in coverage all day. As a matter of fact, I saw somebody tweet earlier that he earned the highest uh, grade for this week per PFF. And over the last three weeks, the number one rated corner in the NFL over the last three. Now, listen, that's not going to. No one's saying that's going to be the norm and he's going to keep that up and that's what's going to happen next year. Not at all. But what it does say <clears throat> is that he's playing worlds light years better than he was earlier in the season. And now you have a guy who all of a sudden you were starting to worry and don't, don't lie to me and tell me you weren't worried that that $74 million, whatever it was, investment was going to be money. You know, that there wasn't some buyer beware already kicking in. If, if Tremaine Johnson can, can continue to play at a high level for the remainder of this year and next year, then you feel much, much better about that deal. Because let's face it, folks, he was bad early on. He was really bad. No getting around it. And on a side note, I apologize if the uh, – not sure how this audio is going to be. Had to go with a different mic tonight. Um, hopefully have the regular one sorted out next week. And last game ball – and this one, this one's an interesting one because it's Leonard Williams, and I was on the forums on JetNation, JetNation.com earlier today, as I as I often am. And one thing that uh, jumped out at me, there was a thread that somebody had started where they pointed out that Leonard Williams. 
pardon me, Leonard Williams taking plays off. Leonard controversial Leonard Williams. A few plays where he looked a little bit like Muhammad Wilkerson of last year and the year before. Only difference is, and this is a big difference, is that uh, Leonard Williams also made some big plays in this game several several times. Josh Allen had to throw a ball away or couldn't complete a pass because he was under heavy duress from Leonard Williams. And, you know, look, the season sucks. They're 4-9. and nine. Everyone's pissed off. I get it. Fans don't want to hear it. But, you know, because of that, because of the fact that, you know, we were able to find a, a couple of plays where the effort looked to be lacking. And I, there was one where it looked like the fans were really getting on Leo and uh, and someone. And, again, if you go to the forums on JetNation.com and check out the discussion, uh, somebody took a few shots of that play. And it does look that from where Leo is when the play starts, that Avery Williamson and Henry Anderson are closer to the ball carrier than Leo is, and they're going all out, and they can't get to him. And sometimes it's a matter of these guys looking at the situation and just knowing, like, all right, I see how far away that guy is. I see how close he is to the end zone. I know I'm not catching that guy. And, yeah, should he go all out every play? Absolutely. In a perfect world, that's the way it works. But this isn't a perfect world. And if you're going to tell me a guy pulled up lame on a couple of plays, but then I turn on the film and I see him in the quarterback's face seven or eight times forcing bad throws, I can live with that. And I don't now I don't mean consistently. I'm thought I'm talking about the fact this is a four and nine season <clears throat> and I'm not gonna lose my mind if a guy decides that he doesn't think he has a chance to get to a guy and he pulls up early. If you can then show me, well here's here's fifteen other plays where he busted his ass and beat the guy in front of him and got in the quarterback's face six, seven, eight, nine times. That I can live with. Um but because fans are so upset right now I've seen a few comparisons to Mo Wilkerson today uh, regarding Leonard Williams. I would completely disagree. I don't think Mo Wilkerson had eight quarterback pressures in the last two years. Um, and that's, that's an unofficial number. That's when I rewatched the game uh, because I knew, noticed during the game that Leo had a really uh, – uh, he was really disruptive in the past game, kept an eye on him. I counted eight, eight pressures. I don't know if that's – I don't know what the official number would be. Um, but Leo, very disruptive. Took some plays off. Bad look for him. I still don't view him as a as a guy who's not a high character player. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. Um, it's not something that's been an issue at a time when his team wasn't terrible. And again, yes, in a perfect world, the guy would there'd never be an issue. But let's face it: when you know your season's over and you're in the middle of a play and you feel like you're not going to get to a guy, maybe you pull up and maybe that's not the end of the world. And maybe you don't compare him to a guy who got paid and decided to basically uh, take an early retirement in, in Muhammad Wilkerson and just mail it in every single week. A little bit unfair. <clears throat> but, again, I, I get the frustration. But even still, I'm, I'm still giving him a game ball because, of the, again, I, I counted at least three times that Josh Allen had to throw a ball away or couldn't throw a ball accurately because Leo was there and then four or five other times where he had him on the run. So strong game all around for Leonard Williams. 
And one guy who I left out who didn't get a game ball in the postgame write-up um, but really jumped out at me when I rewatched the game, that was Brandon Copeland. He didn't have he – had, he had one sack, but I counted another six or seven pressures for him. Now, between Copeland and Leo, um, they, were, they were in Josh Allen's face, you know, 14, 15 times. So good job for him and a good story, too. Copeland's a guy we talked about quite a bit this offseason. Uh, you know, he, he's not tearing it up. Nobody's put him in Canton. But he's a guy who had a half a sack coming into this year in 32 career games. Um, just a half sack. Now this year he's got four in nine starts. Um, 13 games total, nine starts. He's got himself four sacks. So maybe he's a guy who turns into a little something um, with another year or two of, of seasoning. That remains to be seen. But a good job by him. And just, like I said, a lot of guys, a lot of guys had strong games. There was some talk after the game, and I saw this on the, the Buffalo Bills Twitter page, and I thought, the ball's on these guys. Like, you got to be kidding me. They sent out – there was a play – there was a play later in the game, before the half, for those of you who remember. Steven Hauschka, Bills uh, kicker. Had a, had a kick blocked, and while there was still some, some running around going on, the play was not yet dead. Jets defensive lineman Henry Anderson decided to lay a shoulder into Hauska, and it, it looked like it was from behind to me. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Um, jet player, non-jet player, I'm not going to make stuff up and try to try to, you know, sugarcoat it. But the Bills, the, the Buffalo Bills sent out on their official Twitter account after the game uh, a cat uh, a clip of Anderson from it was it looked like it was from behind. I heard Anderson talk about it afterwards. He makes a valid point. If he hits that dude from behind, the guy's gonna fall flat on his face. But he does fall to the side, and then when you watch it in slow mo, when they slowed it down, Anderson's hitting him with the shoulder, but pushing using his other arm to push Hauschka sideways to make sure he falls on his side and not on his face or, uh, you know, face first. But either way, let's, let's say it was a dirty hit. Let's call it that. Just for, for the sake of, again, not sugarcoating it. Looked at full speed like he hit the dude from behind. And the Bills send out this clip, not cool, man. That's not cool. This is the first play from scrimmage. Their offensive tackle was flagged for a chop block. On Jordan Jenkins, when Jordan Jenkins was engaged with the guard, Buffalo's tackle, Deion Dawkins, goes low and chop blocks Jordan Jenkins. Now, look, the, the reason that's illegal is because it can easily end a career. Easily. So, and it was the first play, first play of the game. So, on the first play of the game, your guy comes out and tries an illegal career-ending hit, potentially career-ending hit on a Jets player, and then you're going to cry about it after the game because an, a D lineman put a shoulder into your kicker's back and knocked him down. He didn't try to end his career. He didn't do something that was, that was potentially you know, going to take away the man's ability to do his job. He bumped him from behind, knocked him down. And the team, the team who has the guy who chop-blocked the player on the first play from scrimmage, they're, they're calling it out. I mean, come on. Don't be idiot hypocrites. 
You know? Give me a break. Jordan Jenkins said after the game, he, he said, he said, I told Dawkins, if you do that again, I'll kill you. And I'm sure he didn't mean that literally. But look, man, you see these shot blocks. I, I, I can remember the first, the first time in my life as a fan, as a young kid, that I saw a chop block. And it was, I mean, it was a long time ago. God, what was it? Would have been around 87, 88, 89, somewhere in there. Maybe even been early 90s. But it's nearly 30 years ago. And it was a Jets game. And it was career-ending, I, I believe. I'd have to look it up. But uh, <clears throat> Jerry Ball, defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions, in the game against the Jets when Bruce Goslett was coaching. And, um, oh, okay, he did, he did play for several years after that. But he missed significant time. I want to say it was uh, Brad Baxter, the Jets fullback at the time. <clears throat> Pardon me. Went after Jerry Ball's knee in a, in a game. And Jerry Ball was carted off. And he missed, I, I want to say he missed the rest of that season. And the bottom line, regardless, no matter how many games a guy misses, you know that that, that hit, that play is illegal because it, it, can, it can completely ruin a guy's career. So when you're, when you're running a social media account for the team to try to take a guy out with a chop block on the first play from scrimmage, shut up when your kicker gets knocked over. Give me a break. That's an absolute joke makes no sense whatsoever. So now, with that game in the rearview mirror, Buffalo 27-23, it's time for the Houston Texans at home in a game that will feature neutral end zones. Nothing gets you more fired up than coming coming in to watch your team play and the field looks like a like an Army Navy game from 1908 with stripes, with with with, with uh, diagonal white stripes in your end zone because you have to share a damn stadium. Absolute joke that is. So it'll be the vertical, all, more than likely. That's what I'm assuming because that's what happened the last time. This basically the Jets play on Saturday, the Bills, the the Giants play on Sunday. So since the team can't roll out the carpet in the end zone in 18 hours, it looks like it'll be the the, uh, the diagonal white stripes in the end zones. So, yeah, you know, bring back the feel of those old Army-Navy games back when uh, everyone wore a suit to the game. It's going to be fantastic. It's really going to add to the, um, the environment, the ambiance of, of, of amateur amateur field or amateur-looking field that the Jets will be playing on. Really, really disgraceful. But that's, you know, that is what happens sometimes. No getting around it. But the thing that we have to worry about this week, Houston Texans, J.J. Watt looks to be, I mean, is he at at full health? Is he 100%? Is he the guy he was a couple years ago? Probably not. And he'll probably never be that guy again. He's 
Well, actually, you know what? Hang on. I'm going to pull up his numbers because I was looking at them a couple weeks ago. But it, you figure between J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney is another guy who seems to go, oh, wow. Okay, I take that back with Watt, at least if this is accurate. So, J.J., he's got 13 sacks. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I thought J.J. Watt was sitting around eight sacks, which isn't a bad number. But for the but for the J.J. Watt, who used to be a 17, 18, 19, 20 sack guy, he's got 13. He, would, anyone, would anyone be surprised if he came out of this game with, with 16? Having just said I like the Jets O-line in pass protection more than most people, um, I don't like it that much against J.J. Watt. And that that has nothing to do with the Jets O-line. I, I worry about J.J. Watt if you have anything less than a top two or three tackle, which the Jets certainly do not have. So right now, Watt and Clowney have combined for 20 sacks. So that's something I was already concerned coming in. But Watt's been playing even, uh, or at least numbers-wise, having a far more productive season than I realized. And that's not, you know, even if he was having a, even a down year for J.J. Watt is a, is a good year for most people. So Sam Donald's got to have his head on a swivel this week. It's not going to be easy to contain him. And on the other side of the ball, of course, one of the better, if not the best receivers arguably with best receiver in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins. That guy's just a monster. Although Amari Cooper right now, in terms of over the last few weeks, might be the best receiver in the NFL, which is crazy. But DeAndre Hopkins, one of the top guys in the league, even and then, you know, he lost Will Fuller, his the number two over there, uh, about seven weeks ago. And it you know, he wondered if that would hurt Hopkins and if it would hurt the tech, the Texans, but they really haven't missed a beat. Hopkins right now is sitting at, he's got, he's already got about 1200 yards receiving by the time this game ends. He's sitting at 1151 with nine scores. I mean, that's the Jets can't get a guy to put up, put up those kinds of numbers in 16 games. Hopkins has been phenomenal for Houston. And I would expect more of the same this week. Um, that'll be a good matchup for Tremaine Johnson. But honestly, even having said how well Johnson is playing, these are the types of games where when you're facing a guy who's this good, DeAndre Hopkins, someone's going to get beat. He's going to make a play against someone. And uh, you just hope the Jets find a way to slow him down. Morris Claiborne, I think, would have a hard time with him. We'll see if they get lined up one-on-one. And I'm sure they will at some point, obviously. That can be that. That's the matchup for, for Houston to try to ex- exploit. But the one thing I'll tell you what one thing that could be a factor in this game is if Leonard Williams, we talked about earlier, if he comes out playing the way he did last week against the Buffalo Bills, um, one area where this Texans team struggles is in their in pass blocking. They give up a ton of pressure, a ton. I haven't looked in a while, but I saw a, tw- I saw a tweet. Pro Football Focus sent out a tweet um, a couple weeks ago showing the top, uh, which O-lines had allowed the most pressure this season. And the Texans were at the top of the list. And they're probably, if they're not at the top, they're near the top. They give up a lot of sacks, a lot of hurries. Um, 
So if Leo comes out playing as well against the pass as he did this week against Buffalo, maybe you see a strip sack or two, puts himself in a position to to disrupt that passing game. All in all, Houston's going to be too much for the Jets to handle. The Jets aren't winning this game. They're going to have, they're going to have a really hard time scoring against this defense. But uh, I'm going to say I hope I'm wrong. I hope Darnold finds another way to to pull out a late win and and give Jets fans a reason to believe that he really has turned the corner and that he's going to be the guy moving forward. So we'll find out early Saturday, Saturday game, 9.30, is it? No. I'm going to say 4.30 kickoff, somewhere in that neighborhood. Because that one one caught me by surprise this week. I was actually uh, planning on watching the game on Sunday. Completely forgot the fact that it is a Saturday game on NFL Network. So this Saturday on NFL Network, Jets and Texans. And until next time, Jets fans, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great night.